It's the big green button, mate. Well, not when you press it, it goes red. Hello, hello, and welcome to this, the Ian Prendercast, another Carlton podcast, brought to you as always by the good people at MGA and 121 Media. My name is Sean Peter Budge, and I'm joined, as always, by the pride of DU's Currawong Bush Park Campus, which is just a derelict, dirty cabin in the woods. It's Dr. Tim Davis. Sean, how are you, my says, friend? I think the sign on the door says, please, no pants. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pants optional. <laughs> it started that way, but then not enough people were on board, so you just you'd have to be a bit more forceful. Do away with them. Yes, yes, yes. What do we make of all of that? I know you're the, the one that poses the question, Sean. The but cabin in the woods or the performance yesterday? No, well, it was. I mean, I guess we've got to swing back to it at some point, but. Uh, Oh, I hate that we're so bloody predictable in the lack of effort that we bring. Mm. That's that's. I think to me that was the takeaway. It was it was the thought going in. It was the takeaway afterwards. So there was a suspicion that we'd seen this movie before. We've used this one before. Uh, the, the big idiot will appreciate this reference, but you know, old Biff saying there's something so familiar familiar. Uh, familiar about this and. <laughs> In Back to the Future, that's a fun joke that calls back, you know, a good scene that we all enjoyed and we're seeing it again. They're in on the joke. With us, it's... We, it's, are, we are the joke. It's borderline abuse. Um, well, that voice you can hear in the background is old mate Willie Nelson. He's pulled over for just long enough to record. First things first, where are you? Where do we find you on the road today? You're an idiot. I'm in the study. You sure? You don't have a fare with you? Is there some guy in the back that needs to get somewhere? <laughs> What's wrong with you? On the what road is again. wrong with you? You're on the road again, Willie. Always calling from the car. Always trying to. You get, today you called me Timbo for a six-minute uh, splash and dash chat because he, you know, he was just about home. Couldn't be in the car for you know, his own with his own thoughts for even six minutes. Don't lie. So he Don't rang lie. me. It was six minutes. That's how long it went for. But I, I rang you for a specific reason. Yeah, you, but you acted like you were ringing me to discuss, like, you know, nuclear, you know. Diplomacy. You rang me like as if the fate of the world depended on it, but you had a question that plausibly I would not have the answer for, and surely you could have deduced that long before asking. How dare me. I ask you any questions about the Australia Post? And Timbo, you might it was have about Timbo. Inkling. It was about how much does it cost to send out a letterbox drop? I don't know. How <laughs> would I know how much it costs? We, it is the organisation that you work for, but you know, you, if the answer's I don't know, he well, acted like a, he was chasing a, me down. A reasonable response. He acted like he was chasing me down for days. By the way, and I said, two why days. don't you just why don't you just text me? No, it was too important for that. Didn't sound I didn't important. Say, I didn't say it was too important for that. I said, why text when you can call? I told you I couldn't answer the call on Friday because I was in a Zoom meeting. You Hashtag Sean Talks. You didn't bother to follow that up with a message or anything. So it obviously wasn't that important. You know, we got off track here. I don't really care how you are, but some of the listeners might. You haven't introduced me at all. I said, we go to old mate Willie Nelson. He's pulled over. He's on the road again. Buon pomeriggio, ragazzi. How are we all after that insipid performance? I'm at peace. What, by Sean or by the Blues? (laughs) Both. Please. I'm at peace. I'm completely centred. 
About the blues or about Fabian? <laughs> about everything. I'm Zen. Yep. I'm Bodhi. Yeah. Was that a point break reference? It was yes, a point break was. reference. Mm. Is that another one of those movies that most people enjoy but you think shit? No, it's a good it's a good fun movie for the time. It's a good fun movie for any time. Uh, look, it's, it has age, but as, as a lot of movies of that time, but, you know, we feel a little bit nostalgic when you look back at it, but it's, it's all good fun. There you go. it's, not, it's, not, it's not overthought, put it that way. Well, that's like the problem with a lot of movies these days. I've watched a few in the last couple of days, and mm. I've actually got a theory for you, Fab, because I don't want to talk about the game as such, so we can, we'll delay that. I'll just filibust for the next hour and a half about this, and then by the time I'm finished, we don't have any time to talk about the game. Sorry, guys, we'll catch you next week. <laughs> um, I was watching, what was it? It was a Jungle Cruise. Um, whenever it was, a week ago, a couple of days ago, whenever it was, and I thought to myself, this is kind of like a microcosm of what cinema has become. And I was thinking as the film got bigger and bigger and bigger, because they all do, they all have to get, you know, as the film group progresses, every set piece has to get bigger and bigger and more unbelievable and more effects and, you know, bigger green screen. And you're kind of going, yeah, but what actually matters is the stakes and your emotional connection to the characters and your comprehension of what's going on and why it's happening and why you want your heroes to win the day. You don't just watch the film hoping your hero will win because that's the way the film has to end. And I thought to myself, you know what's the greatest like set-piece finale in the history of cinema? I've convinced myself of this, just thinking about it. Back to the Future 2. So from the moment Biff realises he's got the almanac... You know, Marty too, and he takes it from him and he kicks him in the guts. And then they do the tunnel chase. He goes up to the roof and they pursue Biff and they go through the tunnel and the DeLorean gets struck by lightning, sent back to the Old West. Like, that is, to me, the greatest setup to and exclamation point and then promise of the story continuing in the history of cinema. And for a number of reasons. Everyone criticises Back to the Future 2 as being like a, uh, a retread. And you're like, no, it's not a retread at all because the stakes are completely different. In the first one, mm. there was a ticking clock. The ticking clock was, we've got to be in the right place at the right time for the bolt of lightning to send me back to 1985. Whereas in the second one, it's no ticking clock at all. The stakes are completely different. The ticking yeah. clock is, or the, 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 book. the, the book is, the, but the, you know, your lives and the future and all that. So this idea that it's the same movie is, has always struck me as being so incredibly lazy. But The best but, thing about Back to the Future 2, it's... It takes you into the first movie from a different angle. And, and that was new at the time. Brilliant. People criticise yeah. it as being yeah. a retread, but nowadays it is a little bit because a lot of films do that meta thing. But back then it was really new. It was really fun. And they didn't do it. Everyone always says, like, or the, the, the criticism is they've done it in a lazy way. And you're like, no, they've made a completely different movie that just mm. exists within the framework and the fun of the first. So anyway, from the moment he gets kicked in the guts... It's that like we speak about wrestling all the time, and I was watching Jungle Cruise, and I was like, "Ooh la la!" But this is but exactly <laughs> right. But he gets kicked in the guts, and then all of a sudden, you've gone from going, "Oh, he's won the day; they've done it; they've done exactly what they need to." But you get a false finish. No, they haven't, because Biff's got the book. And then Sylvester, the score swells, and it's like it's frantic, and he runs up to the roof, and they've got to act on the fly. They have to chase him, and then all along, they're just hitting beats that we, the audience, get. They can't just. They can't just take Biff out. Marty can't have a fist fight with Biff because he can't beat him. The oh, bunting, the bunting that the DeLoreans picked up when it took off, 
that at the time you're kind of like, oh, what's going on here? Well, that comes back because what's the only thing that can fire up a flux capacitor that's not a nuclear reaction? A bolt of lightning. A bolt of lightning. So the car gets struck by a bolt of lightning, which shorts the car and sends him back. And there's all these unbelievable false finishes that he gets the book, but the scene's taking him down the tunnel, and he's in the middle of the tunnel. And there's all these elements that it just beautifully clicks along, so beautifully, and it leads you. It's just awesome. And then at the <laughs> end when you think, then at the end when you sat there and you're going, oh, he's fucked. Like, what the fuck? He's yeah, done. The plan. It's up in smoke. They're finished. What's he meant to do? The Western Union guy turns up. Oh, no, I was going to say the big pile of uh, chicken shit in the truck but that's again. But that's another one. That's another one. That it's a nice tip of the hat to the audience that this yep. is how the story ends. History repeats. And it's just, you watch this movie, as I said the other day, Jungle Cruise and others and The Fast Nine I watched and um, Black Widow before that. And you're just like, you don't have to be bigger and larger and more grandiose and more over the top. You can just exist on a smaller scale where the stakes are recognised and we understand them and we care for the characters. All right. Does anyone want to talk about the football? Say hello to Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Hey, Kel. Boy, say hi, Kel. And now she ignores us. What a bitch. (laughs) Say hello. They can hear you. Hello. That was very, very unconvincing for Kel. Yeah. So I'm not sure how we got onto Back to the Future, but it was a good chat. I don't know, but uh, you've got me me excited. I might... uh, Kelly, you're live. Blow a load. Bust a nut. Far out. <laughs> Somehow she thinks she can't be heard. We can hear. Uh, Fabian, did you want to brush up on the Prender G- DJ situation? Now, you have got one more warning. Your performance last week was disgusting, and I'm close to taking the segment away from you <laughs> because your shenanigans were unacceptable. It's Grey's Sports Almanac. <laughs> oh, shivers. One of the great MacGuffins in cinema history, Grey's Sports Almanac. Yeah, there's the photo. Good stuff. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Probably not good on pod, given that it's not a visual medium. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not working. He's showing us um, replication replicas of props he's got from the movie. What's he got next? You got the Polaroid, uh, the Western Union letter. Is that it? Oh no, you got the letter from the first one. Warning, doc about, warning doc about the Libyans. The Libyans. This isn't really, as Tim pointed out, excellent for the pod medium, but you know, oh, well, keep going. You're the one who had a 10-minute monologue on Back to the Future oh, this, is something I, this is something I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks now. It just doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, there's the, the clock tower picture from Back to the Future 3. Good stuff. Yeah. All good stuff. All no, good my favourite movie. You, uh, you've, made, you've picked me up. It's, uh, it just doesn't get enough credit. That, what that film accomplishes in 10 or 15 minutes. It just doesn't get enough credit because it's you perfect. Know, what I don't understand is that movie as a, as a whole, whether it be, you know, one, two, and I know three is not on the same level, but to me that's got all the gags are in three. Three is a really satisfying conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. But it will never win an Oscar. Yet it will go down in cinema history as an absolute classic. Yeah. So... Well, I'm saying why don't movies that are commercially appealing ever get the recognition? Because they're not they seen as, in, in terms of Oscars, they're, not, they're very rarely seen as real art. Popular art is very rarely appreciated as, as valuable or meaningful or worthwhile as something else. Jaws 19, Max Spielberg, of course. So you well, got to, well, as you say, we, everybody loves an edgy movie, something with a bit of darkness and all that sort of stuff, and... 
people come to that more than, as you say, just a popular kind of a movie. I've, I might have said this on pod before, but Steven Spielberg spoke about Jaws and said that he got snubbed at the the Oscars in 76 and Jaws is the biggest movie of all time. And um, he was asked a reason, you know, someone said, why do you reckon he got snubbed? And he, and he was very... Mag, you know, he's very pragmatic and realistic about it, and he said, "Because people people love a winner, but they hate a winner." Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you don't want to. Win, you can't. We can't win too much. No, you can't be too big. Too. I mean, Star Wars didn't win in '77 or '78. Sorry. Yeah, Biff. There you go. The dollar dollar note, which is not a real prop as such, but. No. There it is. On there's the, the Western Western Union letter. He's been living happily in nineteen eighteen eighty five. As it says on the last page there. There we go. All right. Fab's finished his show and tell, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to tell us about Prenda DJ, you idiot? What about it? Do you want to tell us about it or or am I taking the segment from you now? Am I I just saving myself the hassle? I I didn't know what you were saying because, you know, you you create a run sheet but you don't share it. So we don't really know. We've been over this, Fab. What's happening? Like you know, if we would have known there was a you've long future, said you've long minute, said you don't want it. You want to be loose and in the moment, and never said that. Sean. You've said I also, that. also said I want to know what the numbers are each week. You won't give me those. Tell me so, what's happening with Prenda DJ before I cut you off. Well, last week, not all, actually, not a lot of people surprisingly got the reference with the man in motion being Sam Walsh, but also. Myself, mm-hmm. Saint Elmo, as Saint Elmo. Um, so yeah, I'm telling you, not not a lot of people got it. So there's no shout outs to be. There's had. no shout. No one got it. Uh, they're on Twitter, which on my laptop's not with me. Okay, you're being you're being benched. No, no, I've got notes. I've got notes on the on the on the laptop, which is not with me at the moment. You sound like Andrew Klein, the Aaron Sorkin meeting. You got your notes. Marlowe's got your notes. <laughs> Don't not my Sorkin notes. <laughs> The sound, you've got a lot of excuses, and I'm sick of them. <laughs> he rammed. <laughs> I ran my car into my overpriced, underinsured Beverly Hills match. <laughs> Timbo man. has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Sitting there silently, just taking it in, Timbo, smiling. How many, how many years have we told you to watch Entourage? Well, you've done it a few times, but I'm just not there yet. So. It is the most easily digestible fluff. It's a 20, 20 minute fluff episode. Like, it's not even necessarily that good at times, but it's just easy <laughs> to watch. Um, all right, we'll get into the show now. We've padded for long enough. Thanks for bearing with us if you're still here. We were just trying to. Here you go. Match made in space. Good stuff. Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan came to him playing Van Halen. Uh, we've padded for long enough, so if you've stuck with us, brave, brave, brave souls. Um, <laughs> if you haven't, we understand. We'll send you a. We've tried, we've tried as best we can to. To wheedle out those who just don't have the stomach for what's about to come, because this could get wild. It could get willing. Um, Marvin Berry and the Starlighters will be playing at the end of this episode. You, see, I'm this is the problem, know. Fab. This is my problem, Tim. Fab never comes with anything prepared. I always give him the song every week. But that's the thing. I, I, I'm the one. There's who... no theme to that. Yeah, it is. The theme is we had nothing to talk about football-wise. You're a disgrace. Um, so last week we pondered. What was the outlier performance, Timbo? Was it the disappointment of the North game or was it the Saints game? Was it, you know, is that what should we be thinking is the norm? Well, we got our answer yesterday. Well, I I think we did, but then even then we're so ingenuine and I'm just, I I still, 
I, I battle to break it all down because when I step back and I look at players, I like our players. I just don't like the way that we, you know, the way that we combine together. You know, we've often talked about the fact that we have good defenders but not necessarily a good defence. And it's just, it's like just a continuation of that. And you just sort of sit there and you're going, we seem rudderless. We seem devoid of culture. Like the guys themselves, the players seem to get on off the field. Like they seem to be a good group of people. But then when it comes to some real thick glue to keep us together, um, we just seem to be sadly lacking. And, and, and you go... What you say there is really good. The first part of that equation is really important. The cohesiveness in the group seems to be really good. So the first yeah. part, the first part seems great, but that needs to then become demanding standards, expectation, you know, drive, want, will, whatever you want to call it. That needs to then galvanise into something that is tangibly you know, seen on the field. Absolutely, and look, we're, we're coming off. We're, we're obviously recording on a Sunday afternoon. Um, I, I would hazard the guess that all three of us watched um, the Boomers play the bronze medal match last night. Um, okay, Fab's shaking his head and saying that he didn't. I have some and obviously, to, to, to play without Ben Simmons, who is clearly you know our most talented player, to have Aaron Baines go down, who was our best big man and really important from a rebounds and structure perspective, and then still have Gorgian be able to play a game style that was built around energy and effort and team involvement and movement of the ball and all that sort of stuff, they just worked for one another. And uh, and you just sit there and, and you think about our football club and you think about successful teams and dynasties and directions and all of those sorts of things, and you sit there and you go, we've got none of that. I've got a, I've got a segue for you there, Timbo. So I'd actually had some notes here under the heading Boomers, Mills, Ingalls, Gorgian, and embracing the purpose of your pursuit. Yep. So I've got yes. a clip here from David Teague's press conference last night. It goes for about 50-odd seconds. We'll just have a listen to that. Probably something that they haven't had uh, for a long time, this football club, in terms of that playing finals. It's It's been a while. Um, you'd have to, each individual probably be different, but as a collective, um, yeah, you, you could be right. Um, I, I found probably in the, in the past, um, our ability to go and execute um, with that expectation there is, is something we need to improve on. We need to just get really present and, and just go out there and be our absolute best. Uh, probably a week ago, the, the players may have thought the finals was, was out of contention and now it was on their mind. Maybe they've been thinking about it too much. So. A um, couple of times when we've probably gone in as, as favourites, we, we haven't actually played as well. In other games, when we've got a long way behind and the shackles come off, we play some nice football. So we've got to find a way to be able to stay really present and um, be able to execute at our best for longer. So after that, after that's a couple of answers to a few different questions that overlapped that have been just cut together. So last night, the Boomers, if you think about their, their build-up over the last four and five years and you think about their build-up and their preparation over the last six or eight weeks, and you think about the tournament they played throughout the last two weeks. Why were they there, Fabian? What did they tell us at every opportunity? Why were they there? To win a medal. To win a medal. And not just win a medal. They were very, very bullish about we're here to win gold. Win gold. Yeah, but we're here to win a medal. What are we here for, guys? We're here to win games of football. No, no, we're here to win premierships. The premiership, yeah. Go... Embrace that. Uh, Picto Bento on Twitter posed the question to us, um, which is why we're following this up. So a shout out to him. 
But the boomers couldn't have been any clearer of why they were in Tokyo. They were in Tokyo to make history. They were in Tokyo to push that boulder up the mountain so that no one else had to. We're here to win the medal. We're here to take that around everyone else's neck forever and a day whenever they represent Australia. We've done it. We've won a medal. We can put a line through that. It's done. The playing group drove it. Gorgian cultivated it because that's his role. Fab, we cower away from expectation. Absolutely. It's the word that, that I've got written down here in my notes, it's maturity. We, we have a, a fundamental lack of maturity, especially when it comes to handling any minute sense of expectation. We just, the minute we, St Kilda, there was zero pressure, and we laughed at the start of last episode regarding nobody's watching, nobody's in the stand, nobody's any of that. We win, and all of a sudden, the conversation around is Carlton can still make finals. And the minute that that became a reality, and the fact that our senior coach is basically saying as much just shows the lack of maturity this playing group has. You know what I hate too, Fab? I hate the way that he actually... I hate the way that he broaches the topic. He broaches the topic in a manner, and he does this a lot. He understands what the problem is. He's identified what the problem is, but he doesn't have any idea how to fix it. He uses... Sorry, Timbo. He uses they a lot and not we. What I've noticed of late, David Teague seems to be putting the blame on the playing group. You know, they didn't execute, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. It's a we. It's a we. And you're part of it. He's, he's very distant from the solution, isn't he? Yeah. It's, you know, he, he cannot... Credit to him, he, he can diagnose what's not right, but that's fine. I mean, fucking Sam McClure can do that and fucking all the other peanuts in the media can do that. And so I almost... You almost feel like when you listen to a press conference you almost feel at times like David Teague could be on the other side of the microphone and he could be talking about what not, what's not right and a layman's view of where Carlton is at, what's working, what's not working. And again, the, the first step in solving a problem is recognising that you've got one, but there just doesn't seem to be steps in place about, well, what do we do about it? And, and, and Fab, you, you, you talk about maturity... And, and knowing what needs to be done, I mean, like, the the Luke Hodges of the world, the footballers that went out and got their hands dirty and bloodied and everything every single week, they knew exactly what needed to be done, and they just did it. And if it yep. meant putting bodies on the line, you did it. If it meant hitting targets, you did it. If it was about cajoling your teammates to get them moving and get to where you needed to be and lead and all that sort of stuff. He did it. We just need we don't need we don't need a lot of that. We just need a little bit of it. We and need somebody because it just seems to be awfully lacking. Tim, we, we just need somebody to have the attitude not to not have the attitude, sorry, that someone else will do it. Correct. Gotta to, gotta to put your big boy pants on, but Sean. Like, that's I think like that's some, what comes comes. Someone down else to. someone else will get us going. Yep. Someone yep. else will say what needs to be said. Somebody else will make this happen. Mate, like, guys, I'd be sitting there in the in the rooms all week and I'd be going, Cripper, you played a final? Nah. Murph, you haven't played a final in nine, eight years or whatever it is? You're going through these guys, Walshie, 
everyone, when was the last time you played a final? Going, geez, it's exciting, isn't it? We can get there this year. We can do it. Embrace it. Embrace the... That's what we're here to do. We're here to play finals. Don't cower and, you know, oh, geez, oh, we don't want to talk about it because it puts pressure on them. No. Because if they can't handle finishing eighth, <laughs> they're not going to handle... Final day. They're not going to handle anything. Day. If that's too yeah. much of a... Oh, geez, I don't know. George McFly, just not sure if I'm cut out. I just don't think I can handle... You know, if, I just, if they can't handle that, they can't handle anything. And if you aren't prepared to handle that... If you don't have the skill set to handle it, no matter how good of a player you are, goodbye. See you later. Figure it out, identify them, and go, you can be someone else's problem if you don't think collectively this is an achievable goal or something you want to strive for. I don't think... I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I don't think everybody in a team, especially in a team as big as an AFL football team, that you're going to have every player... Of that mentality. Now we've all played. You need more than sport. none. Yeah, I know. That's and that's the thing. We have to address the fact that we're so bereft of it, of leadership, of maturity, and it's it's you know we, we address key positions. We address we need a small four. We address that we need midfield. We address that we need more run. We 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 have not addressed the fact that we need leadership. We haven't addressed the fact that we are bereft of personality. So, we've all played sport at. Various levels, like, and we'll use the the lowest form of sport, indoor soccer. There's always one or two of us who, you know, we may not be the best players on the side, but we're the ones who give a shit, who drive, who basically make sure everything's ticking. Pre-game, during the game, you know, we're the ones who basically argue with the ref when your mate doesn't give two squirts of piss. But without us, you you don't win. Now, I've seen Tim step over the line. He's got the, one of the great white line fevers of all time. Now, But you need it. You need a bit of – not everyone's going to be like that, right? You got you need your Tim Davis who's got your – the energy, brings the energy, brings the leadership. You know, guys, switch on. You know, for every Tim, there's a Benny Faye. You know, Benny Faye's not the same, but Benny Faye's the best two-footed player I've ever seen in my life. So – we need to seriously... Be- better than Hayden Bunton Jr.? He had two feet. That's <laughs> a very we long need... boat of draw. He's we... obviously not seen very many people play sport. Um, no, Benny Faye was ex- exquisitely skilled. He's the um, best two-footed player you've ever seen. Or do you want to disqualify that a bit better? Do you want to reframe that a bit better? It's like saying... He's the best two-footed player you've ever played Division Four indoor soccer with. It was indoor football. <laughs> indoor football. Yeah. Anyway... So Greg Williams, um, you had Greg Williams covered. <laughs> you had Acker covered. Yeah. It's Sam done. Mitchell covered. Yeah. 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 Never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> well, he's a what's his role down at Fraser's? <laughs> he's a manager of our industrial uh, group down at uh, Fraser's. Seems he's a good a good bloke, unfortunately, and Essendon supporter. Seems but wasted. My point is, we need to, and I've been harping on about leadership for ages, and it's not just about. Cripper and Doc, right? Because they may just be the best two available of an absolute shitful crop of leaders. And we not look, I think Jacob Wedring has the potential to be a leader. I know Sam Walsh has the potential to be a leader, but it's probably not their time just yet. How about we think about now Brisbane did it, and God, we mentioned Luke Hodge a lot on this podcast, but 
Brisbane bringing in Luke Hodge helped them absolutely enormously. Enormously. They took a massive step because it oh, – and I'm going to pin it mostly on him. Now, we need to, in the off-season, address who is out there that we can bring in. I'm not talking about a free agent that is a megastar. I'm talking about a free agent that is available that will help the group. It's funny you should mention that. Timbo's done some research. I've done some research. I had a conversation with Brent Gleeson during the week. Um, Brent is a very good friend of the pod and a very big Carlton supporter. We had this very discussion and we said we need to acquire some leadership from outside of the team to be able to set standards and say this is the way that it needs to be. And we went through a list of players that are out of contract and who you could bring in to make our group of footballers better. And it would basically be a playing assistant coach. And we went through every single team on the list and we've got the answer. David Mundy. No, he just signed a new contract at Freya. Okay. But you're in the right neighbourhood. Just tell me, I'm not guessing. <laughs> Is it still side bottom? Is it Sean? No, it's going to be Shannon Hearn. We're going to recruit Shannon Hearn. He'll be on a one-year deal. He'll start the season as a 34-year-old and he's going to set the standards of the football club and he's going to put in place the demands of what we need moving forward. Okay. This football club is not creative enough and they won't do it. But I actually, when you actually looked at it and you said, if you needed to have a temperature check of this club and to be able to work out where we're at, what we need, and if the Matthew, Matthew Pavlichers of the world are you know, looking at you know, what we need from a playing perspective and Graham Lowe was looking at um, culture of the team and all those sorts of things, I reckon he is going to sit there and he is going to say, you need somebody with a big voice that can set the standards, um, be demanding of the players and say, this is what you what you need. And, Sh- and, and Shannon Hearns may not even be a game day role. It just may be within the playing group being part of it. I mean, if you're going to bring him in, and you don't have to bring him in on top dollar, but you can be basically saying this is your transition from footballer to coach, and let's face it, the way that his teammates got around him for his 300th game last week, he's going to sit there and going, I can't be fucked being around these guys. We've had our time, we've won our premiership. If I'm about taking the next steps forward, I'm happy to take on the, the opportunity of coming to Carlton and doing something and, and, and see if I can make meaningful change for the future. Okay, but that was what it. we came up with. Yeah, I don't mind it. That's a tired talking point. If you agree, get in touch with us. We can discuss it further on Twitter. I'm, look, I made these notes just pretty much right after the game. And you're, and you're sort of diagnosing where Carlton are, what we are, who we are. And I came up with these points. So bear with me whilst I rattle off an editorial of sorts. And this is all readily available information. We've all, we're all aware of it. But when you actually say it out loud, it's confronting. We haven't had a winning season since 2011. We've had two of them in the last 20 years. We haven't finished top four since 2000. We've finished in the competition's bottom four nine times in that time. We started a 66-game rebuild, 125 games, two coaches, two footy bosses, two list managers, two CEOs, two high-performance bosses, and soon two presidents ago. But no, amend the constitution to reflect gender neutrality, try to backdoor you know, amendments that just entrench the incumbent board members, be worried about appointing Ross Lyon because of Carlton respects, you know, continue to be governed by the media, continue to worry what they think or might say about us. We are comfortably the worst club in the AFL era. Comfortably. 
nobody has performed more calamitously more often than we have since the VFL became the AFL. And that was when we gave everyone a nearly a decade head start of being actually quite okay. Because what has come after that has been so embarrassing. Our failure, our weakness, our lack of identity other than to be easy beat losers. Nothing about the Carlton Football Club changes until someone down there is prepared to pull the nose of the joint up. And at every single level of the football club, we lack the leadership necessary to turn things around. If people don't think we need change, they're the problem. The club has officially gone into overdraft when it comes to our patients. It's done. It's gone. And if they don't think that we need to be, like people say, push the broom through, burn the place down and start again. Well, that might basically be what the review says, Sean. That's 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 the most. Yeah, like, but those those triggering the review, Tim, won't do that. But this is the thing, um, you know, Fab. If we are genuinely sitting on the precipice of some of, of such significant, um, you know, global change within the organisation, if the review has done its job and it's been as bold and demanding of the football club as it really should be, because you, you cannot you cannot hide behind the numbers of what Sean's put together. The the only the only thing you can fall back on is exactly as Sean sort of said, you know, we talked about a three year rebuild that's now taken six. But if you've been able to bring in personnel that you're comfortable with the right structure around them can continue to drive this team forward, then that's the only thing that you've got at the moment because you can't fall back on 16 premierships you can't fall back on the name you can't fall back on the culture because in the modern era it's just not there and it's not even talking about you know we've embraced mediocrity mediocrity means you're a bit middle of the table as a general rule i think most of us over that last 20 years we would have loved to have been the middle of the table because we were no fucking way near it and and you know again I, I, every carlton supporter loved it when when um, Sauce really challenged Caroline Wilson and said, "If you want me to, you know, make get a team, build a list that'll get you to play finals, I can do it like that. But if you're genuinely about trying to win premierships, he was ha- he was trying to be ruthless and really build something of of scale and dominance and all that, that sort of stuff. And and the reality is, what we found out a year or so ago is the rest of the football club wasn't prepared to go on that same journey as as Sauce was and. Yeah, you know, we've always been very sympathetic towards Stephen Silvani and got a lot of respect for what he's done in the past uh, and what he was certainly seeking to do. And, and the way that ended was really, really disappointing. But I, I think it's the perfect place to pick up the attitudes of what we need moving forward. And just the board and the management and everybody has to come with the same attitude. And, and we are on the absolute edge of a precipice. And I want to see, I want to see us be brutal in the next four, you know, four weeks and possibly sooner. But you I can't, sit there, um, I, like, the, the mediocrity that we may be treated to next may be by our board. Well, this is it, isn't it? You, you can't renovate something that is rotten. Correct. You can't renovate the house, Fab, to, to use a friend of ours. It's got rotten stumps. There's an issue. That's right. They need to be replaced. They need to be replaced. You can't just keep building them on the same faulty it's, bedrock. It's not cosmetic. No, not at all. It's a, it's a real big issue. We're going to go on to um, one of the other headings here. This is sort of, in a quasi quasi sort of way, it's sort of a, an, an adjunct. The 121 Media. Big question. Sort of, kind of. It's big question adjacent. Um, so mentality and methodology. Now, 
the talking point out of the game, and I don't know if it's been raised in a Teague press conference or, or the like, but for me, at the first bounce, it didn't make any sense, gentlemen. And come the end of the game, it summed us all up, I thought. I thought this is actually more revealing than the coaching panel anticipated it would be. The first move that the Carlton Football Club made yesterday, nothing summed up our performance, nothing summed up our coaching philosophy and our coaching group than to take our most damaging, informed player out of the play. Nothing was, summed it up. It was bizarre. And the thing is, they would argue, Tim, oh, it was because, you know, oh, you know, he might get tagged. Back him. So what? Back exactly him. right. Let him. Let him tag him. Let's see how he goes. Let's put Tuke Miller up against him. That's fine. Go go head to head. Back your man in, who's in the form of his life, setting the competition on fire. Give him the challenge. But our first reaction, our first instinct was, no, 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 no. We can't do that. It was meek, it was submissive, and it waved the white flag before the ball had even been bounced. It, w- it was genuinely alarming to see that we've done it because it just begs the question of, well, what are you afraid of? Like this kid, we, we will argue, we'll back our guy in and we will say to most people, he might be the best player in the competition right now. You know, we've talked about, you know, he'll win, pre- he'll win Brownlow medals in the next two or three years. He's, he's in that competition and that discussion absolutely up to his eyeballs. He is in the All-Australian team, and I really, really hope that he hasn't hurt his ankle with any level of severity at the very end of the game there yesterday, so at least he can play his last two games, finish off the season, put the eye on the, the dot on the eye and the cross on the T, because he deserves it. But unless he was carrying something and they were trying to protect him, it makes no sense to start him on the halfback flank, and the mentality and what it shows of us as a football club it was disgusting. It was a concession, Tim. It was a concession was at the first bounce. And you know what it did? All it does, if I'm the Suns, whether it be for one contest, for five minutes, for ten minutes, it gives me an opportunity to tether the opposition's most dynamic player to an opponent who can actually keep him out of the play. Yeah. So Walsh has to figure out a handover. They have to organise that on the field. If Walsh realises, ah, oh, I've sort of been dragged back to the back flank here. I'm 50 metres away from the ball. I've got to organise with somebody. Mate, you've got to stock or whoever, Sadi, you've got to organise a hand over there to get him up near the ball. All it did was give them a little bit of a leg up. And, and Sean, the thing that I think's frustrated almost every single Carlton supporter over the last two years is we've been playing talented players out of position. And, and the frustrations of the support group to be able to say, why on earth are we doing this? Why don't we just back our guys in to play to their strengths, play to their styles, do it their way and and see what happens. To then turn around and take the guy that's been most damaging, most successful and hide him away, you just sit there and you're going, it's dumb, it's weak and it sets the tone for a game that we, we should be being ruthless about. We be, we should be looking to kill them off in the first 10 minutes of the game. Yeah, they've been beaten by 16, 17 goals the week before, albeit by a better team than us. But you knew how brittle and fragile they were emotionally. All you had to do was kick them in the nuts real early. and, and Just and when the ref wasn't done. looking, make sure the ref's <laughs> yeah. not looking. You, you had them absolutely done. And then you start that way and you, you just you, you give them an opportunity. It's bullshit. Tim makes a good point, Fab. The Suns were not a team to be feared. They were not a team to be worried about. They were in horrible, horrible form. And to allow them, Fabian, to play their way, to play the way they wanted to play and to do it from minute one. We allowed them to settle. We allowed them to grow in the game. We allowed them to get confidence and belief. How many teams would the Suns have beaten yesterday other than us? 
None. They were Absolutely they were terrible. No. Now settle is the the word you use that is perfect. The first half, I I, I didn't watch it live. I I was on a bit of a delay, but after speaking to Timber, he was like, they've kind of just sitting back, clogging it up, and just kind of slowly but surely holding on. And the the feeling was we'd break them in the second half. All they did was get comfortable, settle in, and then come half time, they flicked the switch, and we didn't know what to do. I was expecting it to go the other way around. It's tactical naivety, isn't it? Yeah, it was. And, and to see Harry, look, I love and I still think Harry can play that that roaming role. But to have the Coleman medalist play so far up the ground all day. Have you seen his heat chart? No, I haven't seen his heat chart. Is mind blowing. Where, 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 where is like where leading is leading out to the wing, and like just spending an inordinate amount of time, mm. seventy five meters from goal. But then all they're doing is they're waiting for us, so they're clogging up our defensive fifty, and we've been yelling all year that our forward fifty entries have been horrific. But thank Christ we've had Harry. All we did is remove the one piece that could actually kind of make us look half decent. Yeah, no, get him out of here. And more to the point, Fab, like Sam Collins is just a really good trier. He's clumsy. He makes a lot of mistakes. Put him under pressure. No. Have him defend one-on-one deep. That seems logical. Like actually put the guy that's a calamity Jane close to goal one-on-one as best you can. Mm. He will grapple. He will concede. We've spoken about it with soccer before. Australians like Australians have got this interesting relationship with soccer, Fab. They don't understand why teams try to get other players booked. So they no. can't tackle. You can't compete. You're just running around. You're a warm body on the pitch. You get a good <laughs> defender booked. They can't tackle for the rest of the game. So you put them deep. You isolate. If Collins gets done for a couple or one early... He's not going to do it for the rest of the game. Yeah. And you change his mindset. You unsettle him. We've bemoaned the fact that all year we've effectively... I talk about the three-headed beast being the McGovern's, Charlie and Harry. Now, we... King Jidora, maybe, for those um, kaiju fans. Although Mitch didn't get up to play this week, we finally get... And I don't care what form he's in. We finally get... Charlie back and what do we do is we piss one of them outside the forward 50 so we're still playing with one yeah and and, and the fact that Sauce has to play up closer to the ball on a lot of occasions again just rubs robs us of any more structure as well how does that how does that help Eddie Betts so Eddie Betts comes back in the crafty little at the feet player who can make something out of nothing At, at the feet of what yeah at the feet of what well, Gats, that's what we had to feed off. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It was like we gave them a shitload of respect to start the game and then once they were comfortable, so rather than mentally attacking them early, especially what they've come off, we allowed them to settle. We did everything that they would have wanted us to do and then come the second half, they flicked the switch and we had no answer. And I, I said at three-quarter time, I, I, I just said, and 
I mean, I love it when I make grandiose statements that is negative towards our, our football club um, and then find out I'm wrong. But I said it three-quarter time, you know, from everything that you'd seen all day, the attitude, the mentality, the way we were going about it, the, the, the lack of respect that we were showing the opposition, you just sort of sat there and you thought, we had no chance of winning this game. And, and you thought, I desperately hope that I'm wrong, but you're showing me nothing, you're not inspiring me at all, and then we were just all together too predictable in the final quarter and you'd given a, a group of kids a sniff when they'd been bereft of winning and lo and behold, once they've got that sniff, they go after it with absolute gusto and at the end of the game, you sat there and you almost felt like saying, great work, Gold Coast, you deserve that, you worked for it, you earned it, you got it and you sit there and you're going, I just wish my football club would do some modicum of that at some point, it would actually make me a really happy supporter. But you just sit there and you go, it's, it's like the amount of commentary on Twitter and Facebook of people that have just gone, I'm done and I just don't care anymore. It's so disappointing because... It's justified. All, all you want is effort. It's incredibly justified and that's the tragedy. And you, you mentioned there, like the Suns, don't kid yourself, people. The Suns didn't play well. They were real sloppy. They tried their asses off and that's why they yep. won the game. We've seen it before. The Collingwood game is the only game in which we've gone to a three-quarter time huddle, needing a response, and got one. Yep. We were looked. We were. We looked heavy-legged from minute one. Yep. And you're going. Geez, we've been we've been real sluggish all day. I don't think we're going to be able to find a gear in the last, for whatever the reason is. Now, just before we move on to the next topic, you know, we were beaten again by what we know. The Suns were playing the same way Geelong did, the same way North did. Slow kick mark, kick mark, kick mark to make our players work, knowing that the work rate wouldn't be there. Um, they slowed the game down. They exposed that. We weren't prepared to tease distance and pounce. We weren't prepared to make them kick long. We weren't prepared to sit right on their gearbox and make sure that marks are under pressure or kicks are under pressure or we could force the spill. That's about mindset. That's about drilling this into the group, that that's the expectation. So when a time came to have to go faster and to have to lift the tempo, as Fab said... Well, we weren't going to do it then because we hadn't done it all day. We'd shown we were incapable of doing it. So it's just maddening. Um, we also weren't – we kind of found ourselves – we weren't playing a necessarily a zone defence and we weren't playing a man-on-man. We were kind of a half-pregnant, easy to pick apart. We weren't playing Haw- peak Hawthorne here. But look at the numbers. They've had easily over 100 uncontested marks. Yeah, what do you want to do, Fab? You want to make them – Kick long over the zone. It was, it was, and, and I've said this, I didn't watch it live, so I was a little bit behind you guys, but to watch that on replay when you don't have that raw emotion kind of fueling your interest, they were moving it so slow and just hitting target after target after target. Like I said, it's, this, this looked like peak Hawthorne at training. It was like it's disgusting, but but also they weren't dangerous, that, and that was the whole thing. The whole way through, you kind of you sat there and you thought this is a really odd game of football because it seems like they have dominance of possession, but they're not hurting us at any point. Yeah. So, sometimes yeah, Louis Van Gaal's United, and, 
Yeah, a bit of strategy and all that sort of stuff. They'd sometimes get a, a guy free out the back and all that sort of stuff. And you've gone, you know, you've just been patient for long enough. But we created opportunities for ourselves, but it was just every time we seemed to get a half chance and spill of the ball or a second grab of a mark or something like that, it just we, we just never took care of business. And maybe that's just a little bit of luck and bounce of the ball sometimes. But it was just all day you just sort of thought, if all we do is take a little bit more care and we execute – we really should just get a hold of these guys, and we didn't. The next topic is structure and standards. Now, this is going to be a digression. We've spoken about it before. It is a hobby horse of mine, but I feel like it is... Oh, got a visitor fan. Do I? Oh, no, do you? I thought there was someone in the background there. Um, scared the shit out of me, idiot. Uh, this is, as I said, this is, this is a hobby horse of mine, and, and some people probably don't care, but I'm going to use it just as an example, a microcosm, if you will. This is a football club that for far too long has shown that it does not value the details. It takes shortcuts and it compromises. We speak about the list build. We speak about all that stuff. I'm going to nut it down to something that's like in the club's fucking atoms and its DNA. It's a little thing. When the club were told by Puma that they could not emboss the club's monogram, the very symbol of who the club is, someone just went, oh, okay, that's fine. Like nobody would care. Like, nobody would notice. And internally, obviously, no one did care. Nobody did notice. Nobody said, that's not good enough. And that is the type of attitude and the type of decision that seeps into the blood like a virus. They have written Elliot out of the history books. We've spoken about it. They've dragged their feet in recognising Mark Murphy's servant, um, his service to the football club, and they're going to get there, and they're going to, they've kind of made it abundantly clear that they've been sort of made to do it and, you know, killing Bambi and all that kind of crap. They've opted not to welcome Cooter back down to the club in any capacity, whether it just be to have a chat to the boys. They've, that's He's been on record about that. This administration has slowly and systematically dismantled an institution and divorced it from everything that used to be good about it. It is complacency in when it comes to the details and a complacency towards things that should matter that then eventually become part of who you are. So we become a football club for you to sort of go, well, what, what is, I've used the saying before, if you're prepared to compromise and dilute the Guernsey, what is sacrosanct? Where do you stop? Where do you go, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. That's a step too far, Tim. Hey. That's the problem we've got. When we, all these little decisions, and we, we don't, geez, now nah, Sauce, Sauce has lost it, so we're going to get rid of him. When we haven't actually seen the fruit of what he's recruited properly exposed. No, God, because, God, God, forbid, sauce. God forbid you supported the dude. Yeah. No, Sauce never lost it. Came from came from marketing. Was growing impatient because our on-field performance was critical to his KPIs. And we've, we've praised him enough on this podcast, but that he was impatient to stick fat and, whatever you say, steer the course or... Busting up, and it's it, it, that was that's pure impatience. Impatience, which again, I, I'm I'm still fascinated what's going to come out of this review, and and basically what is the tone and the expectation that um, the review places upon every level of the organisation, and that goes from CEO, football manager, football director, board. Captain, captains, leadership well, not, group, is, whatever. Is it, even if it reviews the board, Timbo, 
it's then incumbent on the board to trigger any actions. They're not going to do something that directly affects themselves. Look, Luke, Luke Sayers has a fantastic opportunity to be remembered as the guy who got us back on track. Um, but Luke Sayers has to be prepared to make some really, really hard decisions. And, he um, has to be prepared to be, Tim? He has to be ruthless. Prepa- he has, no, he has to be prepared to be wrong. Look, as you say, be bold enough to make your call and as you say, and find out if you're wrong, that's okay. I, I, I still laugh about um, Matty Knights and, um, and when Matty Knights went to, he got the job at Essendon and they said it came down to Knights and Hardwick. Now, obviously, Hardwick gets remembered very, very well as the Richmond coach in the fullness of time, even though there were a couple of moments along its journey where, you know, the, the road was a little bit bumpy and all that sort of stuff. But it pretty much came down to, in their interview, they said to Matty Knights, what do you think of the list? And he said, I reckon I can, you know, this, this team can play finals. You told them what they wanted to hear. And Hardwick turned around and he goes, it's fucking shit ass. And you've got to tear it all apart. You've got to start all over again. And in the end, they went with the guy that gave him cup half full. And you said, I would rather go with Hardwick and have him be wrong and that there's more talent on the list than he's given us credit for than take the guy that actually thinks that we're half decent and then find out that he was wrong. And obviously, again, history will tell you from that point, I don't think they've won a final. Um, so, you, again, you talk about a club that was at a precipice. They had an opportunity to be able to make a really hard decision, and they didn't. They didn't. They weren't prepared to take the risk on their own, what was literally their own bloke, um, went with Matty Knights instead. Um, and well, they and went, that was, they went that with was the just guy a, that was, a disaster. That was kind of weird, given that they were bold enough to go, Sheedy's done. Correct, correct. And they replaced him so with Matty Knight. So, I don't know, was it was it the thought that they were going to get another Richmond man to be able to, you know, turn Essendon around? And well, we going, did it with Bolton. You pick Kevin Sheedy, who was one of the most, the biggest pricks of blokes going around and absolutely hard and demanding and, 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 and again, was going to set the standards that you need. Matty Knight's was... He wasn't that. I mean, he, he gave him. He kicked one goal in a final that actually sunk Essendon, and all of a sudden, you thought that he was everything that they needed. Well, Tim, this is a problem. A lot of a lot of people pin their hats. We spoke about Back to the Future earlier, and history repeating itself. And the theme of that movie, but a lot of people pin themselves to this stuff. You can't sack Teague because oh, look what Bomber did. Oh, you can't sack Teague because look what Dimmer did. Oh, we've got to hire Bolts because the last guy we hired out of Hawthorne worked out okay. Oh, yep. we've got to hire NIDA because the last guy out of Richmond worked out okay. No, no, those things have nothing to do with each other. They're coincidences. Yep, yep. And but, if, if you're trying to make as... People look for threads. People look for comforting... Oh, they do. They do. But you've got to make sure the guy is right. And then after you break everything down, go, oh, here's a happy little coincidence. Don't recruit him on the happy oh, little absolutely. coincidence. Recruit him because he's absolutely the best bloke for the job. Totally. Um, I'm going to speak about some issues with structure here. Just There's two that come immediately to mind that need interrogation because they outline and, and encapsulate really perfectly what we're about as a football club. So Sam Walsh has his turnover in the third quarter, which is marked on a back flank by Jack Lacocious. Not having a go at Walsh because it was just a hat kick out of a pack. Um, Lacocious marks immediately... Not one of the 18 players, 40, you know, you're probably thinking 14 or 15 of which are in a direct you know, position to impact that next contest. I understand with the standing the man, standing the mark rule, it's a bit different now. No one hurries up to the mark with purpose to slow Lukosius down. 
No one recognises guy's a beautiful kick, but not just that. He's right on the edge of 50 year. No one comes in to go, we're going to slow down. No one behind the ball then recognises, shape up. That's it. Like, plug the gaps. I can't remember who it was. Gold Coast guy takes an uncontested mark 35 metres out directly in front. Mm. And you're he sort of going... He looks in board and just hits him. You're going... You had time. Everyone has to have a collective intent, Fab, to delay the game long enough to delay that kick long enough to plug the gaps to make sure that the only kick you got here is backwards and wide or to the top of the square. Yep. We need... You know, you need like a, a, almost a central defender type guy that realizes that should be that, that, that you know we've bought some time and to basically wake everybody up to say position, get in position. Do you know what I mean? But now it, was like, it now needs now to be like second nature. Fab, it needs to be second nature. It's, it's not trained, Sean. It can't be second nature. No, completely. It needs to be okay. Got it out there. Everyone, shape up. And you go and you just stand in a in a dangerous spot. So at least you're a body there. We don't do it. The second one, Fab, was Matty Kennedy late in the third quarter again, right on the the, the three quarter time siren. Has the ball on a back flank. We've got I think it's Lockie O'Brien wide on the switch, miles of space, absolutely miles of space on the other side of the square. He had the opportunity to go to him to open the play up to stretch the Suns. You just kick laterally to the boundary. He gives the Suns the easiest kick, the next kicks down the line. And you're going, you're giving them exactly what they want. We didn't test them. We didn't ask a question of them. We didn't ask any effort from them. It was meek. It was submissive. It was horrible. And that's not even a knock on Matty Kennedy. No. Because he wasn't the only person to do something like that yesterday, but it's just one example. Tom, Tommy Williamson had a really similar one. And I won't hang Tommy Williamson because... He's a player that's been bereft of confidence. So to ask him to turn around and say, take a risk, Tommy, take the game on, kick it across the most dangerous area of the ground, but if it comes off, it could be fantastic. The fact that he doesn't do it, I'm never going to hang Tom Williamson for it. And Matt Kennedy isn't that much older either, but he's a guy that has at least been playing good footy. He's smart. He's a beautiful user. And you sit there and you're going, be bold. You know, and as you've said before, be prepared to be wrong, be prepared to make a mistake. But that's 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 where we're at. Where our season was at, we had one throw of the dice, and and the the bigger challenge was always going to be Port Adelaide GWS. But we just had to get, we had to get the job done against the Gold Coast. And then once we once we had our backs against the wall, we're going, you know, you're not going to win this through meat and potatoes football. You've got to dare to be brilliant and. They just weren't prepared to do it. And I, that's all I want to see. You know, as we've said, I want to see effort. I want to see us do something a little bit different, try and change the game up, take a risk. If you take a risk and then you fuck it up and they kick the goal straight over the back of your head, I don't care. If I the don't people care. internally you, you, you tried, have, you did something. If the people internally have given you the remit to do it, then they're, the, they're the only ones you're answerable to. Correct. So clearly in that situation, Fab, what was frustrating for me was it wasn't a difficult kick for Kennedy. There was no one no. there. There was no one there to chop it off. We don't do it, and that says everything you need to know about a team needing to score. Yeah, because Absolutely. as you say, we've all you, you know you watched during the Olympics, late in games where you know teams needed that goal to win or to draw or whatever else. You know the desperation and firing balls in and all that sort of stuff. You know they're they're, they're doing anything and everything that they can do to try and get a different look and do something. Um, again, we just didn't. 
Fab, we've been speaking recently about this. Um, the next topic we've got is the right people in the right roles. And, and you know, we're both United fans. We've spoken about this a bit in the last couple of weeks, but there are so many similarities to some of the, the back room or top office shenanigans at Manchester United and the reason why that club was not as competitive as it needed to be and ought to have been, all down to the personnel charged with just, you know, doing important jobs. Absolutely. And there's been change yeah. in personnel, which has changed outcomes. I had this discussion with um, a mate of mine, Peter Wills, this morning about you saying that Daniel Levy is great financially. He's just, you know, when it comes to football and decisions, he's not good at Tottenham. And it's the same thing. You need the right people doing the right thing. And in Ed Woodward's case, which is, this is what rings home for me at Carlton, and you've said it before, it's the sexy thing. He loves doing the sexy stuff. Being involved, being involved in player recruitment and getting oh. the deals done oh. and wheeling and dealing is fun. It's fun. You get credit for it. People love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I said this to you, whether the decision is ultimately right or wrong, when Kane Little started to give an opinion on recruitment, you know, the Eddie Betts contract, the the guy who ended up at the Suns, what was his name? Brandon um, Ellis. Who got hurt again yesterday. What's his name? Brandon Ellis. Brandon Ellis and stuff. Look, I'm not saying he wasn't right. It's not your role. It's not your role. No, you have a lane. Stick to it. Yeah. And in your lane, we have given you so much bloody credit for it. As you and I, Sean, have given credit to Ed Woodward. But don't make footballing decisions. And, and as you say, make the suggestion. Make the suggestion. Have even, the robust discussion. It's not even a suggestion. It's not even a suggestion. Day, the decision is we're not going with Brandon Ellis. That's fine. At least everybody involved knows that the topic has been raised, and it hasn't been one of those either groupthink situations where everybody is just thinking the same way, or that somebody isn't prepared to challenge Sauce and his thinking. But at the end of the day. The buck stops with Sauce, ask as many questions along the way, question the fabric of it all and work out what it is, what is it that we're bringing in and why. And as you say, consider the, consider the brand analysis, but if he's not the ultimate answer to what you need in moving, moving forward, fine. At and least this is, we've, we've touched on it, we move forward. And this is what we've been speaking about, you know, said uh, Sam and I speak about it regularly, but it's like Brad Lloyd, for instance, is our boss of footy. Brad Lloyd might be... An unbelievable guy. Probably is. Probably a lovely guy. Probably works his ass off. He's in there burning the midnight oil. He's just super in that regard. He, you know, but everyone always feels like they have to preface any criticism of these people, whether it be the coach or the footy boss, with some kind of like backhanded, oh, he's so, he's so great. Just, I just need it on the record that I think he's amazing. You know, I, th- I think he, I've heard that he, you know, he volunteers at, you know, uh, at uh, shelters for squirrels displaced by deforestation. And you're like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? I don't care if he's a nice guy. I don't care we're, if he's a fucking prick. We're not assessing anybody on character on their on their character at all. You are there to be judged when you put yourself in a role such as a football department manager or a head coach or, God forbid, an AFL footballer. The what irritates me is the ninety nine percent of the people on Twitter yesterday. We're in, in fierce agreement about, you know, the performance and about, you know, the season that, that, that's been. 
But then you've got this 1% of sycophantic supporters who think any kind of criticism towards any element of the club and you're not a true supporter. They've got Stockholm Syndrome, Fab. Absolutely. <laughs> They've got Stockholm Syndrome. They've got, they can't see it. They, they just can't perceive of the place is rotten. Yeah, you, you having a go with the club, Sean, or I having a go, or Timbo having a go, oh, you're not real supporters. Oh, piss off. That all you no, to say I, on I that completely one? agree. Um, you know, we talk about having the right people, and we spoke a couple of weeks ago now, quite a few weeks ago now, months ago, that this administration had all the information they needed to make the change. They had all the information they needed to justifiably say, this isn't working out, let's let's. Let's course correct. Let's try something different. We could all see where the story was going. A bit like yesterday, halfway through the season, I think we started to fear what this was looking like, and it's ended up looking exactly like that. Halftime yesterday, we've seen this story before, and it ends up like the North game. We, we bought into the fact that we've had a hard start to the year. Well, we've had a hard start to the year. Well, what, what does that mean? We can't beat the teams in the bottom four. If you can't beat, if you can't beat the best, we're not here to avoid the wooden spoon. Now, I'm not saying we should have gone eleven and zero, and if we didn't sack him, no. But there was there was a consistency about the way we went about it, a consistency of all our defeats. Where there was smoke, Fab. Where there was smoke. That's right. You could see it, and you could see it coming. And the fun, the, the the funny thing about it is ultimately where the club find itself now is that had they been decisive 10 weeks ago, they probably wouldn't be in, in the gun themselves. Yep. Had they... Does, had, this, does this administration and, or does this board, do you have any, any faith that they have the ability to appoint or guide us in the direction and action the the outcomes of the review? No, because it's a wait and see at the moment. Everything the club do is a wait and see. Everything that they do is, well, we've just got to accept whatever decision you make is the decision you make, and we've got to wait long enough for it to pan out however it pans out, and we've just got to hope that it's beneficial. Unfortunately for us, because... This board and so many people on this board have been in their positions for so long and their track record now is not impressive. But they obviously have the power, they retain the power, and they'll keep the power for God knows how long. And whilst they're in charge, I don't think we can reasonably expect things to change, to be honest. The only thing that's going to change us, the only thing that's going to save us... You know, I said a while ago that the only thing that would save Teague is the cavalry is that guys come back and make us better by virtue of them being better players. But he's going to run out of time there. And then the same thing goes for so many people on this board. The only thing that's going to save them is if they get that next appointment right. Footy boss, fitness guy, head coach, assistants. But they've left themselves so many decisions to get right now because they haven't made the decisions when they needed to. They didn't refresh the assistants last year. They haven't looked and noticed, geez, our fitness is pretty friggin' ordinary, isn't it? They've let Teague run out another season in full. You know, they didn't adjust and didn't recognise it when Brad Lloyd did a mini-review, however long ago it was, that, geez, this is a bit of a worry, isn't it? Review in the football department. They haven't made a decision to this point, and now they have so many decisions to make, they can't possibly get them all right. 
so it's a yep. problem. Uh, obviously, David Teague, we haven't spoken about at length because we're going to now, but what can be said that hasn't already been said, um, Fabian, this is as difficult a decision as the club is prepared to make it. He, he can't be coaching us come pre-season. I don't think he can coach us come tomorrow. That's, you know... And, and, and I know they won't pull the trigger, but I reckon pulling the trigger sends a message that what we've produced is unacceptable. It doesn't help us in the last two rounds of the season, but who cares? We're not playing finals. Send the message that what is currently on display is unacceptable. You know, we joke, like we do, we joke about it, but maybe it's just our, we're just so distanced and so, what's the word I'm looking for? We're so crazed and at the end of our tether and at the end of our wits end that we're just like, we've just become crazy. But I'd, lo- I'd love for us to go, you know what, Doc's injured, you can coach us. Yep. You've shown an interest in coaching, so you want to do it longer term. You're injured at the moment. You actually, from what I understand, he probably can't train. Just going, whatever. You know the system. You know the players. Two weeks. You can you can steer the ship for two weeks. It's and people would like their. We use this term a lot. People's heads would pop off their bodies if something like that happened. But at the same time, you're like, I don't want to turn control over to a lieutenant of the failed general. What does that achieve? More of the same. Just she's more of the same. Um, Timbo, this is the problem with Teague ultimately. Like, we can't be suckered in by beating teams that we should be beating. We can't be suckered in by beating Collingwood a couple of weeks ago. Like, that's great. We love beating Collingwood. That's the worst Collingwood team in a generation. We should be beating them. We can't be suckered in when the reality is losses to North Melbourne, Gold Coast, West Coast in the manner that we fell to them. You know, that's the reality, and that's why... Even Sydney. I, I thought Sydney, we had the perfect chance to be able to get a hold of them. They've played good footy this year, but in that game, it just felt like we were in the contest, and if we took care of business, it was still winnable. It wasn't us outperforming. Like, the Bulldogs game, I mean, granted, we've always matched up well against Bulldogs, um, but we got seven goals in front of them, and I think right now they sit on top of the ladder, and you just sit there and you go... The best that this club has got is clearly good enough to be able to compete. We don't expect to win those games week in, week out. But there's a line at which, from a professionalism and, and the demands that we want to place within our group, there, there are things that they are just non-negotiables. And, and I, get, I get, you know, every now and again, one club will come out and they'll play with an insatiable attitude and circumstance just might get it, you know, come against you. They might have backs against the wall. They might have a favourite son playing his 200th game, whatever it happens to be. Sometimes you can buck the trend and get a win that you probably don't deserve to win, but circumstance allows you to. We just lose too many of those games that we're expected to win and not, and, and not only lose them, but, but feel like for the whole game that we're not even in them. And, and that's what needs to lift that. That's what needs to change. And again, you can get the best coaching group going around and the coach, the coach himself will probably try and get in the players' heads and motivate them and give them a theme for the week and all those sorts of things. But as soon as the ball is bounced, attitude comes from within and the players just didn't own it enough yesterday. And, and as a result, you just look at me going, something just isn't right. Structures these days are, are more basic than I think 
a lot of football fans give them credit for. I think they are actually a lot more basic. It's just organisation. It's just being where you need to be. It's knowing what the best outcome for us at the next possession is if they've got the ball and forcing the opposition as best you can into doing that. But mindset is so important and we just do not have a leadership that can instil that. Now, Fab, we've been big on this, that I think we just need to divorce ourselves and that 1% you spoke about, just need to divorce themselves from the stigma of sacking the coach because the vast majority of coaches are sacked. Just you, you try as many as you have to until you find a good one. People view... People view the time that coaches are given like the wrong way. As soon as you're appointed, the clock is ticking. Yeah. You're on the clock straight away. And if you don't perform, and and the bar might be different at different times, but there's always a bar. There's always an objective. There's always an expectation. And as soon as there's signs that you're not achieving it, all you're doing is wasting time thinking that these people are going to turn things around. The worst thing you can do is just think, oh, they'll turn, he'll turn it around. If he, hasn't shown, if he hasn't shown that that's a possibility for the last 18 months, why is it going to happen next year? Yep. Uh, chicken salads now. There's not very many of those. Um, the, back six, oh, the back six, I think, and we'll, we'll, play, we'll play his song because Weeders was good. Very, this is as bad as chipper as we're going to get today. <laughs> you know what's really interesting? Weeders absolutely has Ben King's number. <laughs> he he, just kill, he killed him. And this guy has to be the captain of the football club next year. He's <laughs> still playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's why I've had it play long. But he has to. This guy has to be the captain of the football club next year if the club is serious and if the club has any care for for what it needs in a leadership point of view. Because, A, he looks like he gives a shit. B, he's consistent. C, he's like he's competitive. Um, I just think there's so much about him, Timbo, that just ticks all the right boxes, and, and he was excellent yesterday. And he seems to be the guy that is going to be more demanding of the players around him as well. Um, and he gets structures. He understands when the big mark needs to be taken. He understands attacking style. He's got the skills to be able to execute, to get the ball moving fast out of defence, spread it, create space, all those sorts of things. He, he just seems to be the guy that gets it. Um, and he gets he, angry too, Timbo. He gets angry yeah, when you need to. He cares. He cares. He showed it late. I don't know. Who, I think it was having another a bit of a verbal off with... With uh, with the king, and you know, Gold Coast players rightly got around there. Man, Jacob was there just to. You could tell he was just. He'd had enough. Yeah, yeah. You could, and you, but that passion to me, that's that's a good sign. That's a good sign. And no, the only I bloke, agree. The only bloke who was there with him was Stock. Yeah. Yeah, he keeps he keeps impressing for impressive impressing. From that standpoint, doesn't he, Stocker? He just um, looks just, bigger with it. He got too. Yeah, there's just something about his attitude. There's there's something that I I just I can't get enough of out of that kid. And it's you know if it's working out who are the guys that really want to be a part of it and buying in and all that sort of stuff, we just got to keep bolting them on, bolting them on, bolting them on. So, and and this off season from a playing stocks perspective. Um, yeah, again, I've used the word precipice too too bloody often, but there, there's a handful of guys at the moment that 
what we do with them um, and the way that we address them is going to just be fascinating. And, uh, you know, that there are guys that I'm afraid for. There are guys that, you know, and, and the change that may come, you know, you worry that it might be the wrong call, but it's just going to be really fascinating to see where we end up with these guys. Uh, some other shout-outs in the chicken salads to Liam Jones and Nick Newman, I thought, who battled away really manfully. Yeah, I thought Nick, Nick Newman was good, yes, sir. He was far and away our best player, I thought. Uh, and then another special shout-out in the chicken salads to Josh Honey, who just looks like a footballer. Come he's in. Certainly, he's certainly an athlete. He's got speed. He's got attitude. He's got professionalism. Looks balanced. Um, dy- dynamism. It's it's all there. His set shot kicking was magnificent yesterday. He could have ended up with a few more. He's actually my heartlet handball for this week, the segment that, like all segments on this show, I'm keeping alive single-handedly. Um, I kind of don't really get the heartlet handball segment. It's the small positive. Yeah. Because okay. Tim once saw Adam Hartlett do a nice handball, and he was like, geez, that's something to hang our hats on. And it was just, it was literally one moment in a bad performance. So, Tim's Josh, still waiting for Christian Jacks to come good. Well, oh, he's, another, yeah. he's another player. You, we, you loved him. You loved well, him. Well, no, and uh, to, just to. I, I like, look, at him, look at him go in and defend him now. No, no, I, I like. He was a great size and shape. Um, we'd clearly liked him and we were intending to draft him, but then Paddy Cripps became available and we jumped on him and justifiably so, and clearly that was the right call. But the fact that we were prepared to go back in and take him because we figured he was our guy, you thought they they like this guy, they know what they're getting and they know what they think that they can turn him into. And you thought, well, I'm on board with the the rationale. Just show me it. And he played round one versus Richmond that that year and looked good. Kicked a beautiful goal. Kicked a goal early. Yeah, got got injured and then I think he missed the next eight weeks or something like that. And he just couldn't put on any size. Well, and I think the other thing I'd heard it. I think we've said this before. I'd heard he came from quite a wealthy family and I think he didn't need to make money from footy and all that sort of stuff. He was just doing it because he liked it, but he there was not a lot of desperation behind it. I think that showed in the way that he went about his footy. And So, again, a guy that came into footy had the opportunity to be able to do something and didn't really create much out of it. Very true. Chicken shits. Uh, we won't back over too many of these. We've spoken oh, about geez. a lot of them. Um, structure, belief, want and desire, Fabian. We had none of that yesterday. Not not even a skerrick of any of that. Nope. It was. You, I, I, I I like it when when you get a little bit fiery, Sean. You say we're a, we're a bunch of pea hearts, and it's that, yesterday was just one of those things. There was just no heart. It hurts to say it too. Yeah, of course it does. Because you don't want to believe it. You want to believe the the opposite. We're not we're not Robbie Lyle, mate. We're not here for sensationalism and. We're not going to build a brand off the back of poor performances. We want to be on here talking about Carlton wins. It shits us to tears. You want to be wrapping guys up. So, uh, the other issue insipid, we insipid yesterday. Absolutely an, insipid. Another bad problem we had was just giving our forwards an opportunity. You know, I mentioned we've spoken about Harry's leading the Coleman Medal. And we just took him out of goal-scoring range. It was utterly, utterly bizarre. His and Charlie's heat charts were just absolutely horrendous. Just you're giving your opposition exactly what they want. You're taking goal threats away from scoring range. It's it's just madness. Um, Timbo, Jack Silvani and Jack Martin too. I think I found myself getting frustrated thinking you've got guys who can win one-on-one contests, who can hold their ground, who are strong at the drop of the ball. 
but you very rarely give them an opportunity to actually do that. Absolutely. They're pushed up the ground, out of danger, all those sorts of things. They're reliant on their defensive pressure to be making the the key changes in a game and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, you don't give them the opportunity to shine. I mean, there was the one bit of play where I've got to remember how it played out. I think it started with Newman on the halfback flank and he did the kick on the 45 through the middle to Sauce. And then it ended up, did it go? To, it went to Harry Mackay and then Mackay didn't move as quickly as he should have, but he kicked it inside 50 to Jack Martin who took a, uh, you know, a, it wasn't uncontested, but it was a pretty strong mark inside yeah, he got 50. Rid of the guy. He got rid of his and, opponent. Yeah, and it was it was ball that movement. Was in the, this is in the third quarter. Yeah, and he went back and he kicked he the goal. His tail, he worked his tail off, Jack Martin, for that goal. He did, and again, we've sort of said it for a little while now. His last month of football has been really good. So, you know, again, the fact that we're essentially out of calculations for finals now I think is great because it means we can just make decisions for moving forward and all that sort of stuff and who are the players that we're building around moving forward. Clearly, we've got one more game to get into Murph to be able to finish him off. Do you just play it and get it over and done with? Do you give him a week off? I mean, I guess he sat on the bench, so he's had his week off. Do you, know, do you just play it and get it done and he doesn't get picked in the final round or do you let him go out at 3-0-1 and, and have a swan song there as well? I'm not quite sure. Are we giving um, swan songs to Levi and Murph and whoever else is heading into retirement? Eddie. Eddie. Um, I, I, look, we're in the hazard Eddie's getting a, a one-year deal. They can't give Eddie a deal until whatever the happens at regime change, they can't do it. I, I'm I am as big a fan of Eddie Betts as there is going around and I'm really thankful for the effort that he gave us this year, but he's not driving us forward. And if nothing else, seeing Owie's growth, Josh Honey's growth, we've used our first pick in the draft on um, uh, Corey Durden, Um Eddie Betts isn't on our list. Next to me, it's not it's, even about that. There, there is no longer any room for making good bloke decisions. It's about, like, we're not winning the premiership next year. We have to be making decisions about what gives us our next premiership. And playing Eddie Betts, age 35 or whatever he's going to be, it doesn't help us. I and, think the, and the, I, the, I rumor no, is, the rumor is it's been put in front of him. So that's a problem. I, I've got no issue with what Tim's saying, but my issue at its core is... You can't be making list decisions and recontracting fringe peripheral types like an Eddie Betts when there's seismic change coming and the incoming coach, if the incoming coach, whoever it might be, goes, yeah, I'm happy to have him for one more, beautiful, perfect. But if the incoming coach goes, look, I actually don't have a spot for him. So we've recontracted a guy that we're not going to play. And, and, and I think that, as you say, that... <laughs> This review dictates so many things. Um, and, and as you say, Sean, like the reality of the situation when you strip it all back, David Teague is contracted to coach this football club next year. So realistically, if there is a call to be made right now, it's David Teague's call. But they can't be making this decision if there's a chance that David Teague isn't there into the future and they're the things that they've got to get right and get sorted in their own head now. Absolutely. Uh, because let's face it, you name one of the other 17 clubs in the competition that is queuing up to sign Eddie Betts to play in season 2022. It's, it's, it's not about it's not, that, though. It's, it's not, not, 
There's not one. No, but there's not not one. Not a decision we have to make. There's no urgency. There's no pace behind it. There's no need. There's no value. The season is shot. If all we're doing is looking forward, you're looking forward with more youth, not a 35-year-old small forward who got three possessions yesterday. But what Sean was saying is surely someone on the board has gone to Nick Austin that nothing gets triggered, nothing, no decisions get made until the head coaching appointment is set in stone. And let's face it, just because you read it on Twitter doesn't mean that it's so either. So I heard it on this end. Yeah. And then lastly in the chicken shits, just a little bit of a shout-out fan-wise, just the I told you so brigade. So Lockie O'Brien has a poor game yesterday because, I mean, let's be honest, he was the only player out there that didn't play well in a navy blue jumper, right? (laughs) And then that all of a sudden validates their long-held position on him. And the same goes for Zach Fisher. Yeah, didn't have a good day. They weren't alone. Did we play a style of football that would actually help them in any way? No, we Get into not. the game? Did we play a style of football that required their skill sets or made best use of what they can do well on a football field? No, we did not. No, we did not. So if you're going to pot whoever it might be, like say when we were critical of Levi a couple of weeks ago, the criticism was because you're there to provide a contest down the line to mark the ball or to bring it to ground, and he was doing none of it. So the criticism is... You're in the team for a really specific reason and you are failing to discharge you know, your mandate. In the case of these guys, I just don't see how we're doing them any favours or how we're giving them any kind of platform to play well. And the same goes for Samo when he's in the team. You know, Stock has made the best of a bad situation off half-back. But the same goes for so many. Jack Martin occasionally this year when he's been played when he's not fit. You just go, what kind of platform are you being given to actually play good football? None. None. So when you come and criticise a Lockie O'Brien playing his third game of the year and the first time he's played back-to-back games in two years because he had a (laughs) quiet day, well, geez, it would be easier to list the guys that actually played well. Correct. There's like two or three of them. So before we start potting kids again, let's just pump the brakes a little bit here and and maybe recognise that the problem is bigger than a 21-year-old kid. 21 years, 10 months. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, the SI Morales Memorial Busting Up Most Heart Award uh, this week. It's the third awarding of this prestigious um, bust, if you will. Um, Sam Iliopoulos. I, th- I, I think we need a, a soundbite. No. Sam Iliopoulos yeah, on uh, Twitter nominated uh, Liam Jones, which I quite liked. I thought Jonesy plugged away all day. And yeah. uh, from where I'm sitting, I think it's probably either Jonesy or Weeders, to be honest. Maybe Josh Honey. Um. Yeah. As a buster nut, no, I would say I'm with, I'm with Jonesy. I'm with Jonesy on this I, one. I, I think Jonesy. The, it, it was any, good any time he does the go back with the fly of the ball and the flying punch when he has every Phenomenal. every right to be giving up. You know the the contest to the guy who's in position one A, and he fights and fights and goes not on my watch. As as you said on Twitter, that's when you're getting good Eric Bailly and yeah. Completely comfortable with it. I was just, again, just like making it. sure that we're not making a call just on the basis of one thing, but it was a bloody good thing. Excellent. It's time for... You've got mail. Perfect. Uh, Daniel Tanache has got in contact with us. Uh, got when into what? Contact. Contact oh, with us. Okay. Do you like that? Yes. Yep. When will we hear from the CEO? 
seems to be happy to pop up when there's good news on the horizon. Yet in tough times, I've seen the Loch Ness Monster more than him. How does he survive this review? If they can all, uh, how can they how can they survive this review? If they can all his key, if they're all his key appointments. Um, yep. Look, we've spoken at, at times about Brad Lloyd and Kane Little certainly falls into this basket. For all the criticisms we've levelled at David Teague, Fab, the one thing that the club has not done this year is support him. No. They, they haven't. Brad Lloyd, Kane Little, Lejudice has been a, a bit of a lame duck president since the succession plan was announced. No one's come out to go into bat for this under fire, vulnerable senior coach. Yeah. And you can see when Teague hits the press conferences, he's the type of coach that needs it because he's not a... He's not one of those strong media performers where he he's basically going to go in and bat for himself. Do you know what I mean? He's 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 a bit of a bumbling mess, and, and that's you know not. I want he's there to coach the the football side. He's not there to be a A grade media performer. But when you've got someone like a Teague in the pressure that he's under, you need support. People and need to be prepared to go go into bat for him, to take the heat off him, to, to be, we've spoken before about, you know, not enough yeah, people. But that that may look like they're supporting him. And then when it turns around that he's the one who's going to get sacked, well, yeah, you got to, you got to put up an self, effort. Pre- it reeks of self-preservation yet again. You've got to put up an effort though. Like we've used the example before. Mick Malthouse used to get a lot of flack, particularly at Carlton for some of his press conferences. Whether he was doing it intentionally or not, there was a lot of Jose Mourinho about picking a fight. So we have a bad performance and he goes into the press room and he picks a fight with someone and he makes himself the story or something else the story and the player's poor performance then is not the story. Jose yes. is a Jose is a past master of deflection and making sure that you're talking about something other than how poorly his team played. And in this case, we needed a Kane Little or a Brad Lloyd to just, just take the heat for a couple of days for David it Teague. Ha- it hasn't happened. And just be prepared to go. I'll I'll go out there and I'll I'll create a distraction, and I'll be the story for a couple of days. We'll, we'll conjure something up that'll divert people's gaze away from you, David, just to give you a bit of respite. And it would have, I think, it would have really benefited him. But we are where we are. Uh, SDP has got a picture of a dog as their uh, display picture here. New listener of the pod, by the looks of it. In a perfect Stop world, looking over your shoulder, Timbo. You keep. Ruffling the microphone. At least he stopped coughing. Um, In a perfect world, what changes would you like to see come out of the come out of the review? But realistic ones. Uh, In hindsight, this season was foreseeable. It feels very much like the last few games of 2020. Timbo, where are you starting? New football manager, new coach. Move the wrong players on. Bring in the right sort of players and attitude. Potentially some leadership. And work out what you do with your number one draft pick this year. You know, are you are you utilising like a, a, what what does a 17, 18 year old kid do to this group? You know, are we is is the brand sullied sufficiently that you still you got to start getting more kids back in? Are you using it to get an Adam Chera in? Can you do that trade without giving up your first round draft pick? I think we need to be using it. Um, but again, they're they're the sort of questions that I'm looking at. Um, selection integrity needs to be maintained all throughout. You know, we've got to throw, cast the net wide, give everybody opportunities, all that sort of stuff, and we've got to make sure that our players 
coming out of this season and into the off-season are fit and ready to play because we've just not met basic standards across the board from a performance perspective all year. Love it. Aggressive starting points, but it's what's needed. Uh, Tom Linton, I think we all agree the coaching regime is finished. Uh, can we workshop some options? It'd be an interesting essay and a fascin- and be an interesting essay and fascinating listening. Can we make a case for or against the following candidates? Clarko first. Um, Fabian, we've spoken about Clarko. Is if he's the right man for us, why isn't he the right man for Hawthorne, given where they are? I just think Hawthorne were Hawthorne may have fallen into the trap for as as good as Hawthorne have been off field for such a long time, they may have just shit the bed and panicked in worrying about your mate Sam Mitchell potentially going elsewhere. I think the, the four for Clarko is pretty obvious in that his resume speaks for itself. Absolutely. But, but there's just something about him that I, I just don't know. There's something about him where if somebody said to me, pick between him or Ross, for instance, Timbo... The instinct for me is Ross. I, th- I think Ross at times seems safer. Like you know what you're going to get with Ross. I think Ross will be demanding. He'll set up the systems and the culture. And I think people will be at the forefront of what he'll do. I, I, I still feel for some reason with Clarko, there's just a little bit of a, uh, a crazed innovator at times that's sometimes behind the wheel. And I, I think he'll, I think he'd be demanding on our guys, but I, I just think if you're talking about attitude, culture, structure, you know, and, and and playing football the way you want it to be played and being predictable and those sorts of things, I think you're going to get that from Ross Lyon. I think Ross is... The stability that Ross would bring as far Correct. as his appointment, whereas you're right. Clarko is a bit crazy. He, he could either deliver something that's just going to be out of this world or he could all blow up in our face. But I'm willing to take that, that risk. Um, the, other the, the, the only little thing that I will say, Sean, what, what Clarko has been able to do is there's been a production line of quality coaches that have come off in behind Alistair Clarkson. And so if you brought in four and five new assistant coaches and they were quality people that had already learned a bit but they were mouldable into being something else as well, you could end up with a real core of very good coaches that are supported by Clarko that, by extension, makes the list better um, over a period of time. I don't know. I don't know yet whether Ross Lyon has produced that through his tenure. And that would be partly my only question. And I think that's one of Clarkson's strengths is so many of us have looked at, oh, he's won three, four premierships, whatever the number ends up being. And that's that's the fruit of his labour. But I think he's made football clubs and football personnel better for his tenure. And and I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yes, very, very good. He, he will, um, uh, Tom lists a few others, obviously. Uh, Barks, Brad Scott, Don Pike, Leper, Kingers, Uze... Lappin, Gian Syracuse and Carousella. Um, those guys, I suppose, you, Gian Syracuse and Carousella are sort of regarded, along with Kingsley, as sort of being that next cab-off-the-rank type senior assistant who would be in the reckoning for another job. And, and they're, they're just candidates that are, are tricky to know too much about. Cara's been around for a lot longer than a lot of those guys. 
and for whatever reason is, has not yet ascended to the top seat. But G is very highly thought of. Uze is obviously very highly thought of. Um, Leper, I've just I've got no interest in Leper at all. I'm not sure why he's the flavour of the month. I don't get it. Just don't understand it at all. Um, he puts yeah. himself out there. Correct. But he doesn't he say a, he doesn't say he, anything he has a that's profile. he doesn't say anything that's like head turning to me. It's really weird. Like, but he's no. regarded as this great mind. It's odd. Uh, Stephen Ward, I'd like to hear your takes on why the level of intensity varies so much from week to week. Why can't this team a team play more than one good game in a row and not even a full game at that? It's mindset, isn't it, Fab? It's preparation. It's the it's the mentality, mentality. of the group. It's all mentality, and we are inept in that in that aspect. So it's 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 purely and simple. We just don't have the the personality as a collective to do what we need to do week in, week out. Timbo's well, moving again. Uh, Chris Mormon is sort the of... And Chris, the, uh, Chris Mormon has sort of said that you know, to the point where he said if one of the key roles of a senior coach is to mentally prepare a team for, for the game, then it's pretty clear that Teague has failed dismally. The complete lack of focus and intensity we brought is unacceptable and is clearly a pattern. Two and a half years is ample time for us to have all seen this. So that's actually probably as good of an answer as we could have provided. Um, Jimmy Faz, Timbo, an odd one here. Has Charlie coming back changed Harry's game? He played a lot of time up the ground due to Charlie's fitness issues. Is this something that will change? Personally, I like Harry closer to goal. Look, absolutely. And we touched on that before, that just sort of the changes in structure and where we were putting our more dangerous players seemed peculiar. Um, I, I know two and three years ago when, when Harry exploded, he was taking a lot of marks leading right up towards the wing. Um, and you can just sort of tell he'd made the transition from being a good junior into being a really, really strong senior player. But again, his his strength around goal and close to goal is so strong. I, and, and we know Charlie's strengths athletically. It, it still stands to reason in the long term that Charlie's going to be further up the, up the ground if that's what you're going to need. Mitch McGovern's probably the same because he's got that freakish speed that he can really impact games both defensively and offensively and his kicking abilities and all those sorts of things. I'm, that's still what I'm wanting to see. So I still expect to see Harry closer to goal. Um, just quickly, Daniel sort of had asked the question that you actually touched on earlier. He's on very much the same wavelength, Timbo, where um, he actually mentions Hearn from West Coast here. So which senior experienced players from other clubs should be targeted to help change standards and culture? So you're actually you and um, who was is, who is your uh, Benny Fay? Is it Benny Fay? No, it was Brent Gleeson. Brent Gleeson. I always, I don't, I've never met them. I've never seen those two people. I'm not even sure if they exist. Um, <laughs> Jason Terranova, what is it about our culture that makes the players drink their own bath water after a win? We're unprepared for teams that we feel are below us. Players fold when they realise it's not going to be the easy day they envisaged. Uh, it's no coincidence or a one-off. It's a cultural problem. And, and that's more of a statement, isn't it, than a, than a question as such. But it's absolutely on the money. We, It's it's inexcusable. Um, it's absolutely inexcusable that um, we don't front up when we need to and don't play consistent footy when we need to. So we've just been given the wind-up from uh, Faber Ganoush because he needs to go, um, which is fine. That just, that just wraps us up for another week. You've, you've got to run out and buy some drugs. <laughs> got to go on a drug run. <laughs> Old Walter White here has got to leave us. So, gentlemen, it was a pain. It was an absolute pain, but it's also ended up being a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. 
Baba Ganoush will tell me what song he wants playing at the end of this episode. It won't be Johnny Be Good by the Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. <laughs> well, Marvin Berry and the Starlighters didn't sing Johnny Be Good. That was... Uh, Marty McFly. Marty McFly did that. Marvin Berry and the Starlighters played the song. Yeah, they, they sang Earth Angel. Yes, but they yes. also played Johnny Be Good. They played the music in the background. Yeah, it's a blues riff in whatever. Lose Riff and try and keep up. Uh, watch out for the changes and try and keep up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's going to happen to Carlton. Watch out for the changes and try to keep up. Uh, excellent, boys. For Tim Davis, thank you very much. Sean, always a pleasure. Is it, though? No, not this week. <laughs> and for Baba Ganoush, the giant boob. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. I'll catch you next week if we can be bothered. We'll probably knock off port next week. Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need y'all to roll. Uh, 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 uh. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, nigga, make some noise. Get him, Jay. Who you know fresher than whole? Riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking yeah. Can none of y'all mirror me back? Yeah, hear me rap, it's like hand G rapping is prime. I'm young HO, raps great for dead. Back to take over the globe, now break bread. I'm in Boeing Jets, Global Express. Out the country, but the blueberries still connect. On the low, but the yacht got a triple deck. But when you young, what the fuck you expect? Yep, yep. Grand opening, grand closing. Goddamn, your manhole, crack the can open again. Who you gonna find open ahead with no pen? Just draw inspiration. Who you gonna see? You can't replace him with cheap imitations of these generations. How will they pay you? When you first come in the game, they try to play you. Then you drive a couple of hits, look how they wait to you. From RC to Madison Square, to the only thing that matters is just a matter of years. As fate will have it, J status appears to be at an all time high. Perfect time to say goodbye. When I come back like Jordan, we're in the 4 5. It ain't to play games with you, it's to aim at you. Probably maim you. If I owe you, I'm blowing you to smithereens. Cops have to take one for your team, and I need you to remember one thing. I came, I saw, I conquered. Sales, sold out concerts. Motherfucker, if you want this encore, I need you to scream to your lungs to soak.